This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you're looking for a place where you can meet like-minded women, study God's Word with your favorite authors, and have a whole lot of fun while you're doing it, you belong at Lifeway Women Live. In each city, we'll explore a different way we pursue Christ together as a community of believers. Lifeway Women Live features some of your favorite authors and Bible teachers, including Jada Edwards, Jen Wilkin, Jackie Hill Perry, Lisa Harper, Kelly Minter, Christy McClellan, and more. Join us in a city near you, or even join us via simulcast. You can learn more at lifeway.com slash lifewaywomenlive. And don't forget to come early for You Lead. You Lead is an all-day event helping women lead wherever God calls you. Whether you're leading in women's ministry, a Bible study, a nonprofit, in your home, or even in the marketplace, this event is for you. Find out more at lifeway.com slash and check out all the cities where you can join us. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heinemann and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Let's tell our audience a little bit about what's happening this summer. I know. It is so exciting. So we have been, for the past few summers, we have been blessed and able to release to y'all the audio teaching from some of our Bible studies. And we are so excited because this summer we are bringing to you, to your ears, the audio sessions of How Much More, a Bible study by Lisa Harper. And so tell us a little bit more about how this is all going to work, Kelly. Absolutely. So on Mondays, we'll release one new audio teaching session each week. And we're going to leave all of the episodes up until the end of August, so August 31st. So if you get a couple weeks behind or maybe you're on vacation, we want to make sure that you're able to catch up and do that. So what we want you to do is we want you to go to lifeway.com slash how much more, and we really want you to purchase the Bible study book because it's going to help you really learn more than just listening to the audio, but work alongside of it with the study book. And that link is going to be in the show notes as well. And we just know that y'all are going to be so blessed by this study. And so we're excited to get to bring it to you. So here is Lisa Harper. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. This is kind of like a special episode of the Mark Podcast. Um, We are kicking off our summer podcast Bible study, which is How Much More by Lisa Harper. And so we wanted to kick things off with an interview with Lisa Harper. Why not? (laughs) Hey, Lisa. It's so good to have you back on on the Mark Podcast. So yes, um, Elizabeth said, we're starting to do this study today. We're going to leave the episodes up until the end of August. So in case you get behind, you want to make sure you get the Bible study book, all those kinds of things. So Lisa, we want to just like ask you a couple of questions as women get ready to get into the study. And um, so... I mean, the first question is kind of like, what are some things that women should know maybe about the study, how to work through the book, and then, you know, things to be listening for? 
Well, I should start with a confession, Elizabeth and Kelly, and that is my mother told me that my questions sometimes don't make sense. So I should start <laughs> with a qualification that um, I love this material. I This is the most difficult Bible study I've ever written, but I, I think it's my favorite because um, as a result of writing this Bible study, I feel like my understanding of God's com- compassion grew exponentially. So I would say really just to lean into this Bible study with open hands and an open heart. For me, I feel like I had to unlearn some things Mm -hmm. to get my arms wider around what God was teaching me through His Word, through His Spirit in the study. So I would say, you know, take a couple of deep breaths, dive in, and have fun. Mm -hmm. Sounds, Sounds great. Yeah. So, and we've had you on the podcast before to talk about how much more, and we'll We'll drop a link to that episode in the show notes so that women can go back and hear that if they want to know more before they hear the intro session. But can you just kind of share with us now a little bit about your heart behind the study and how you were prompted to select the passages that are in the study for women to study? I've said study like 14 times, but that's what what we're doing here. So, (laughs) You know, I think because... The three of us have talked about this so often. I know that um, y'all's hearts are the same as mine. We we want to know God more, and we want to reflect the love that He's lavished upon us, um, just some measure of that with the world around us. I was starting to see the last 10 or so years on the road, I was starting to see a lot of young women um, kind of um, hemorrhaging, if you will, from, from evangelical church culture because they were beginning to believe the lie that you couldn't show compassion to the world around us and be committed to the Word of God. They were starting to believe things like, well, the Bible is hate speech or our God is a misogynist. And I thought, you know, I want to do a deep dive into passages that have been formally perceived as punitive um, or painted God into this stereotype of Him being an angry God. I want to dive into some of those passages and show that when you understand God's Word, the authority of God's Word in the proper historical cultural context, it, it proves that our God has never been anything less than compassionate. And so that's how I chose the passages. But my the heart behind it was to help people really believe that our God has always been a redeemer, that he's not He's not an angry God in the Old Testament and sweet Jesus in the New Testament, that our creator, creator redeemer has always been for us. He will always be in the process of pointing us toward redemption, that he really is a good God, uh, regardless of whether things are going our way or not. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's such an important just overall, as we get ready to dive into, just remember that God's character doesn't change, and that you said like He is a He is a good God. Um, so, what a great way for us just to kick off the study. So, ladies, I'm super excited that you're getting ready to hear the first session. And so, Lisa, before we dive in, um, would you just pray right now and just ask the Lord to bless our time as we share this 
online um, and as women dive in. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. I'd love to, Kelly. Thank you. Um, You know, I'd encourage those of y'all who are listening to this podcast right now, if you're not driving, (laughs) if you're somewhere where you're sitting listening to this podcast, I'd encourage you to put your your hands kind of palm up in your lap right now or on a table, just in the posture of receptivity as we come together as a, a digital sisterhood. And ask God to give us uh, eyes that would see more clearly and ears that would hear louder, hearts would understand more fully um, who God is and who He's called us to be. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, um, Lord, in, in just humility, acknowledging that you are God and we aren't. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans um, when you ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, but you left us Holy Spirit and this love story called the Bible uh, to remind us that you love us, to remind us that we were worth it to you, uh, to remind us that you are for us that your love for us is immutable. It doesn't change. So Jesus, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would quicken the places in our heart that um, have grown numb, that you would plow up places in our hearts that have become hard, that you really would um, tender our hearts so that you could plant the truth of your love uh, deeper into the soil of our hearts so that it would change us, so that we'd begin to believe bigger, that you love us, that you're for us, and so that it would change the trajectory of our lives so that we would share some measure of the grace you have lavished on us uh, to this beautiful broken world we get to rub shoulders with. Um, Jesus, um, we pray uh, that even as we study this together um, in our separate rooms and all over um, digitally, we pray that that even our study together would um, be a fragrant aroma to you, that you would be pleased with the posture of our heart, first toward you and then secondly toward each other as, as we embark on this adventure together. And we'll be careful, Jesus, to give you and only you the honor for any good thing you do as a result of this podcast and this study. We love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for just coming on here to help prepare everyone's heart before we enter into this study of how much more God loves us and how much more His character is. Well, thank you for inviting me, Elizabeth. I love being with y'all. so much. Thank you so much for coming. This is the very first session of a brand new Bible study called How Much More. And I'm so tickled y'all are here. For those of you tuning in from all over the place, if you're watching these videos, we film them during the season of COVID. And so that's why if you watch the, the people around, we are practicing social distancing. But I want to assure you that God does not social distance from us. And that's kind of the theme of this whole Bible study. Now, I want to make a couple of confessions before we dive into the initial text. The first one is um, this. This is the hardest Bible study that I've ever done in my this is my fifth Bible study with Lifeway. And this one has been like giving birth to a full grown adult. I mean, this one, for whatever reason, has just been it, it, it's been it's been a lot. And I have studied my rear end off to bring 
all this material together. That being said, as a 57-year-old Bible teacher who's been doing this for 30 years, I don't think I've ever been more aware of the fact that when you filter the, the perfect Word of God through the finite minds and mouths of mere humans, it's going to be distorted at some level. And so I want to say from the onset, do not take a single word that falls out of my mouth as an errand. The only perfect word is God's word. And so anything I say in these sessions, I want to make sure that y'all take it and filter it through the word of God. I've, I've done everything I know to prepare well, but I'm sure there's probably something in here I'm going to say that's going to be flawed. And so with God's Word and the Holy Spirit is how I want you to, to take this journey with me on how much more. My second confession is I've already lied to y'all because um, COVID-19 effectively killed keto at our house, resulting in, in a really large uptake in my carbohydrate consumption. So um, I'm about 15 pounds up this time from last year, which means my rear end did not get studied off. It is still very, very much alive and well. But the good news of my expansive tragedy is I have saved pictures from this time last year when I didn't have to force my fluffy bits into restrictive undergarments. So I have a witness. I have proof that at one season in my life, I wore pants with zippers. And that's kind of the theme of where we're headed in how much more. It's that we have a witness. We have credible testimony all throughout this supernatural love story that our God always has been and always will be working on our behalf. And so to start, let me get you to open from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 and 27, which I bet you you've cross-stitched. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is kind of the theological girdle that's going to hold our whole study together. Um, this is the premise of a theological truism called Imago Dei. Imago Dei comes from two Latin words, Imago and Dei, means the image of God. And what this means that actually began to be taught in the second century by uh, the, the saint, the Bishop of Lyons, his name was Irenaeus. And what he said is that every single human in history bears God's thumbprint. And that has since become a cornerstone of Christian orthodoxy, that every single one of us, we are image bearers of the Most High God. That means we inherently deserve dignity and value. Unfortunately, um, the fall caused people to not love perfectly the way we were wired to be loved. And so most of us walk around with some wounds as a result of the people that we've rubbed shoulders with. And I don't know about you, but from my perspective, I feel like there's a whole lot of Christians nowadays that are walking right past 
the divine healing that we have access to in Jesus Christ, and they're running smack into discord and bitterness, and I'm seeing more vitriol masquerading as virtue than, than I have ever seen in my five decades here on earth. It's becoming all too common to see Christians who are watering down the redemptive message of the gospel with this embittered diatribe as if somehow if they get a, a pound of penance from somebody else, it'll heal the wounds in their heart and mind. I was reading an article recently that was written by a, a really lovely woman that I used to uh, know from Christian leadership circles. And in this article, she confessed that she had experienced so many wounds at the hands of Christians and in church that she had gone back to scripture and she had spent a couple of years deconstructing biblical narrative. And that she is now of the opinion that we cannot trust that this is the inerrant word of God, nor does she believe that Jesus is the only way we can be reconciled to God the Father. And it just broke my heart. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but when I read those kind of deconstruction narratives, I think, boy, it is incumbent upon us as image bearers, as God's beloved, to spend more time with our face in this book than we do scrolling and trolling through Facebook. This is where you find peace. This is where you find hope. This is where you find joy. And if you actually take the time to peruse the supernatural text, you will find that God has always been and always will be moving heaven and earth on our behalf to restore some of the dignity and the value that may have been rubbed off or stolen from other people, usually unwittingly. Um, with that in mind, I want you to flip over one page, probably, unless you have a big study Bible, and then that might be two, to Genesis 3. Because I want to, from the very beginning, this is, I usually do Bible studies, they're on one book of the Bible. But this, this Bible study is basically the early iteration of my dissertation. And I'm studying at Denver Seminary just the theme of redemption in God's Word. The fact that even some of the problematic, scary passages hold this redemption. If we'll take the time to understand socio-historical context, we'll go, oh my goodness, he was loving even then. Even in that passage where at first I thought maybe God was a unibrow librarian, he's not. <laughs> he's this gracious, kind, redemptive. He is perfectly holy. But goodness gracious, you can't understand His holiness apart from His compassion. And it's here at the very beginning. This is a passage that, that I've heard since I was a itty-bitty girl. I've been going to, to church since I was in utero. And so I've actually seen this passage flannel graft. And to give you just a little review before we read this passage in Genesis 3, you remember that God breathed the universe into existence. There was nothing there complete void, and God breathed vibrancy into void. And then God breathed pure light out of pitch black. And then God breathed Imago Dei, Adam and Eve, from the dust. That, that's the beginning. And when he looked at Adam, because he created Adam first, y'all remember God essentially said, and I'm taking the tiniest bit of liberty with the Hebrew here, but he essentially said, boy, you're going to need some help. 
And, and then he created Eve. And, and the word in the Hebrew for Eve is he created her to be a helper, an easer. That wasn't a subjugated position because God calls himself an easer in the book of Exodus. So he created this man and this woman and everything was awesome until she got so busy with Tritter that she dropped her guard <laughs> and she got deceived by this slithery liar named Satan. Y'all remember that? And God called them together and said, because you disobeyed, I'm going to have to get you to pack your bags and leave Eden. You remember this? That's the juncture of the story we're going to jump in at, at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, I don't know if y'all are anything like me, but when I read scripture, and I've done this since I was a kid, I have pictures in my head. Because, you know, this is true. These are real people. These are real stories. And I like to imagine what it might have been like had we been there when this story actually took place. And in my mind, when I think of Eve being driven out of the Garden of Eden, I picture her like with, with Daisy Duke cutoffs <laughs> and, and an ACDC tube top, you know, and, and like a feather in her hair, just, just kind of like the girls I grew up with that were super wild and kind of trashy. I don't know what the girls in your town were like who were the, the rebels, but those were the girls in my town, just usually short shorts, tube tops, no offense to any ACDC fans, but that, that's what I picture in my head Eve was like, because goodness gracious, Surely by this point in the story, she presents as the queen of some ancient, super wild, kind of trashy girl gang, right? I mean, if she hadn't gotten deceived and she hadn't disobeyed, then our world wouldn't be such a hot mess, right? So when I first read Genesis 3 and, and read about her being kicked out, driven out of Eden, I thought, good riddance. I mean, good riddance. God need to, needs to get rid of that girl gone wild and give us a better girl, you know, a girl who like, you know, wears matching sweater sets and, you know, <laughs> appropriate things and isn't quite so trashy, listens to worship music in her Prius. You know, I just, we needed a more appropriate girl. But y'all, that's not at all the true story. That's not at all what God did. That word there, gal rosh, I was shocked when one of my seminaries and one of my professors in seminary actually used this passage to prove that God has always been a redeemer. He said that word drove out in our English translations comes from one word in the Hebrew and it's galrosh. And that word galrosh is used redemptively twice in Exodus. And then I'll show you a couple more times when, when God was hurting his people out of captivity. You remember our great-great-grandmamas and granddaddies and how they just kind of got stuck in captivity. Remember when Mo first let them out? Or if you're my age, you remember Charlton Heston in the movie? <laughs> you remember when Moses first let them out, they started whining about how the drive-thrus were better back in Egypt. 
They had grown comfortable in captivity. So in Genesis 10, I mean, uh, Exodus, excuse me, 10 and Exodus 11, it says they were driven out by the mercy of God. They had gotten so stuck in a ruck, rut that they weren't even, they weren't even jonesing for liberty. They were just comfortable. They were content in captivity. So God herds them out. Y'all, that's exactly the picture of Genesis 3. He's not boot-kicking Eve out of Eden. He is herding Adam and Eve out of Eden to begin the process of redemption. Yes, it's original sin, but God's response is not an angry, unkind response. As a matter of fact, if you look at those divine bouncers, the cherubim that's on the edge of the Garden of Eden, they are facing out. You know why they're facing out? To protect Adam and Eve. Because if the original Mrs. Dumb and Dumber had tried to come back in to the Garden of Eden and had eaten from the Tree of Life, they would have been forever frozen, suspended in that state of sin, separated from the perfect intimacy God had designed them for. This is not a unibrowed God. This is a kind Redeemer who ushers us toward freedom, even when it feels like discipline. He always has been, always will be working on our behalf. That same word is used again in a way that is just so cool. Turn to 1 Samuel and I'll explain it to you. And you will have read or been taught this story before because it's one of the famous stories in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 21 beginning with verse 9. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down, the priest is talking to David here, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So you remember David's first big kind of debutante party. You remember that David is just probably in middle school when the Israelites are engaged with this huge battle with the Philistines, their arch enemies. And you remember there's this big guy who's the hero of the Philistines. Y'all remember his name? Y'all talk back even with your mask. <laughs> it's Goliath. Yes, Goliath. And we're told that Goliath stands six cubits and one span tall. Anybody remember exactly how tall that was? Nine feet, six inches. So this guy's ginormous. I'd love to be set up with a guy that big on eHarmony so he could like <laughs> pick me up, but I haven't been. But anyway, this guy's just huge. And he's a beast. He's got like an Uzi in one arm and he's got a bazooka in the other and he's got a whole belly full of grenades. 
and he mocks the Israelite army because there's nobody in the Israelite army who can stand toe-to-toe with him. Do you all remember how he would mock the Israelites? Now, David's just like in seventh grade. So he's not even in the military. He can't be in the military yet. He doesn't make the weight requirement. He's like 5'6", 130, and he's just a little guy. He's still got clear cell dots on his face. You know, he's in the throes of puberty. He's just coming to bring some Chick-fil-A takeout to his brothers who are I'm taking tiniest bit of liberty with the Hebrew here, but he's coming to bring his brothers some, some refreshments. And he sees this guy mocking Israel. And David says, I'll, I'll take him on. And it's shocking that they actually let him take on Goliath. And you remember the story, they try to fit him with armor and he finally says, I don't need any of that. Just give me my basketball shorts and, you know, my, my Nike sh- t-shirt. I'm just going to go out there in my Tevas and face the giant. And you remember the story. He's got a slingshot and he's got five st- stones facing an almost 10-foot giant armed to the teeth. And this little kid kills this giant. And it's not about the power of David. It's about the power of God. He uses the the weak and the foolish to illustrate his strength and his wisdom. Who takes the least of these, like Mary from Magdala, a woman who is oppressed by seven demons. Do you remember what the number seven symbolizes in biblical literature? Symbolizes completion. So what Luke is trying to tell us is she is completely oppressed. And then she meets Jesus. And she gets healed. And she's chosen for what is arguably the most important job in human history, to be the witness to the risen Messiah. God loves to take the least of these and set them up into leadership. That's one of the things I I have looked back on my own life and thought, there's no stinking way I deserve to be standing up here talking with y'all about Jesus. It's just our God is a redeemer. And he's taken all the years that I served up to locusts on silver platters, and he has redeemed them. And that's the story here, y'all. David was redeemed by God. Now here he is years later. He's in the middle of enemy territory. It's almost like a Mission Impossible plot. It's almost like Tom Cruise. He never ages, does he? (laughs) Like, I so want whatever he's taken. But it's like a Mission Impossible movie plot because David finds himself in the middle of enemy territory wearing Goliath's sword. Goliath was their national hero that David just took out when he was a boy. That was a massive humiliation. That means David's picture has been in the Philistine post office for like ever. I mean, every enemy of God hated David. It's about how I feel about Quito. You know, it's just, ah, And they just hated David. And so it looks like he's definitely going to lose his life. But then he feigns madness. And what convinces this king that David is out of his mind, the reason King Achish said, I don't want this 
to start trending on social media. I don't want people saying that his blood is on my hands. I don't want to, to apply capital punishment to somebody who is two sandwiches short of a picnic. And so y'all need to let him go. The reason King Achish let David go when he should have been killed is because when David drooled in his beard, it absolutely convinced them that he had lost his mind. Because for an Israelite man, to desecrate his beard meant that he went against Mosaic law. There were actually rules about how a man treated his beard in ancient Israel. So for one to deliberately drool in their facial hair, that was tantamount to sacrilege. That's what convinced them that David was not in his right mind. I want you to hang on to that and head to the right about an inch and a half to Psalm 34. Because theologians tell us that after David made that unlikely escape from certain death, he sat down and he wrote a song. Do you remember that all 150 psalms in the middle of our Bibles, they were all originally written as songs. So it's like God's iPod right there in the middle of the Bible. David, after he escaped with his life, thinking he was surely going to face death. He sat down and he penned a tune. And look at verse 5. It's extraordinary in light of the context. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I love the humility in David. He knows the only way I'm standing here is because God was with me there. Another one of my favorite verses in Psalm 34 is the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This has been a heck of a season, hasn't it? been a hard season for a lot of different reasons. And I've come back to that promise again and again and again, that God promises to be close to us when life is difficult. We can rest in the promise of his presence when we feel like we can't put one foot in front of the other. I love this psalm, but I think my favorite thing now about this psalm is not the lyrics, it's actually the title. The title is this, Psalm 34, of David. That means it was, there was Davidic authorship. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, that's another name for King Achish, so that he drove him out and he went away. Same word, y'all. Exact same word, Galrash. He's not a mean God. He doesn't drop kick us when we mess up. He herds us sometimes through discipline toward our good, toward our deliverance, toward liberty, toward redemption. He is always kind. Even the places in the Old Testament where we go, oh, he seems kind of mad there. He's always merciful. He is slow to anger, rich in compassion. He's so much kinder than most of us give him credit for, surely kinder than any of us have ever experienced from another human. Uh, beginning of COVID this spring, the, the thing I was worried about more than anything else was Missy having access to medicine. My little girl who God um, brought to me through the miracle of adoption seven years ago, um, she has been such a tangible, 
tangible example of redemption for me because I was thick as a brick in my 20s and 30s, just foolish when it came to relationships. I was in some really toxic, romantic relationships. And um, by the time I was in my early 40s and I'd experienced some significant healing, I thought there's just no way I'm gonna get to be a mama because my ovaries are raisins at this point. And so the fact that our God is so good that he allowed me to become a mama um, at 50 years of age, I never forget it. I mean, every single morning I'm reminded of the redemptive kindness of our King because I look at my daughter and I go, only God, only God would have allowed me to become her mama. Anyway, my, my little girl's first mama, her name was Marie, and I can't wait to meet her in glory. Uh, she died uh, two weeks before I started the process with Missy. And from what I understand, she was an amazing woman, lovely woman. She certainly gave birth to an incredible kid. Um, but Marie had undiagnosed AIDS, and so my little girl has HIV. And Missy is super healthy by the kindness of God. Her HIV is undetectable, but she takes antiretrovirals every day. And so some friends in the medical community contacted me at the beginning of COVID and they said, Lise, we don't want to alarm you, but um, there's a chance that some of the meds Missy is on will be used in trials uh, because they're antiretrovirals to try to combat COVID. So they said, um, we don't know how much of her meds you have, but there's a chance that there'll be a shortage on those antiretrovirals that Missy's on. And there's just not that many meds for pediatric patients with, with HIV. And so they said, if you have a chance, um, you need to try to find some of that medicine and stockpile a couple of months of those meds just to be wise. And so I started calling around. I called everybody I knew, especially pharmacies all around the Southeast. And it was really hard to find the medicine Missy was on. In the meantime, you know, we were quarantined up on, we live on a, a little log cabin up on a hill on five acres. And, and I, I, I was just watching Missy's medicine, you know, diminish. And we were down to about a fifth of a bottle on two of her bottles of meds. And, and I was getting worried. I was trying not to worry. I can, I can talk about be anxious for nothing, but man, when it comes to my kid, that, that is something I have to really be disciplined and intentional about. And so we were praying and I was trusting God, but the mom in me was a little nervous. And finally, I found a pharmacy that had some of Missy's medicine. And so I told them I wanted as much as they had. They told me they had two months worth. And then they said, um, ma'am, we just need to tell you since you're getting this medicine outside of your insurance plan, you're gonna have to pay full price for this medicine. And I said, that's fine. You know, at that point, I thought I will, you know, I'll, I'll go stack boxes at Target. I'll take out a second mortgage, doesn't matter. And they said it's going to be $5,000. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's a little bit of a chunk. Uh, a lot of shoes. And um, <laughs> because I travel for a living and God has so taken care of us. But because I travel for a living, I was basically out of work for about eight months. And I thought, okay, okay. You know, God will provide. And so I paid the money and ordered the meds. And then uh, they told me they were sending the meds and then a delivery company lost the meds. And so it was a really hard couple of days. Meanwhile, we were down to three days of medicine for Missy. And finally they found the medicine. It was, had been lost in a warehouse. They told me that it was definitely coming on this Wednesday. 
And so I went out and sat on my porch. Like I told you, we live out in the country. I've got two kind of Cracker Barrel rocking chairs on my porch. So I thought I will just sit there from sunup to sundown because I don't want to get one of those little notes that says you weren't here. I thought I will sit there and wait for that delivery truck to come up my hill. And late that afternoon, here comes that delivery truck. And you know, this was at the point of COVID where you couldn't go out and meet them. They had to put the package on the porch or in the driveway and then I'd slather it with Lysol. And so this young guy gets out of the truck, you know, with his package and I'm about six feet away from him. And I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just started bawling. You could just tell he was like, this woman is like really stir crazy from COVID. And so I spray it with Lysol. I take that little white bag of prescription meds and I walk up onto the porch and I was so overwhelmed at that point by the, the provision of God that I just kind of fell to my knees. Nobody's around. We live in, in the boonies. It was just me. And I just kind of fell to my knees and, and just began to weep and praise God for his provision, for his goodness, for his kindness. And I don't know, I was there for a couple of minutes, I guess. And, um, and then I stood up because I was going to go inside and tell Missy, you know, baby, look what God did. And I turned to go inside and I felt um, my phone buzzing. And I pulled my phone out, just curious to see who had texted me. And it was a text from a pastor of a church that I had been at four months previously. And he said, Lisa, you know, I hope I'm not bothering you, but I need to tell you what we just decided as a church. He said, um, our elder board has been praying for how we could bless people who've lost their jobs due to COVID. And he said, we were looking at people in our congregation, but then somebody brought up when you were here. And then he just said some very nice things about what we had gotten to see God do, how God had revealed himself the weekend that I got to be uh, with his church. And he said the elders voted unanimously for us to send you a gift. And he said, um, since I already had the number of the girl who travels with you, I hope it's not presumptuous, but we went ahead and got her number and have already wired this money to your bank. And then he just tagged me on a receipt and it was $5,000. Y'all, nobody, nobody has ever given me $5,000. I mean, I don't play the lottery. I've never won a lottery. I've not, you know, I mean, I used to do Coke bottles for five cents when I was little. Remember when they were glass and you could turn them in for bubble gum? I mean, I think that's the last time somebody gave me something basically for free. But here was God and he redeemed in a way that was so unmistakably him that that's what has carried us through some of the harder parts of COVID. Two weeks after that miraculous provision, someone very, very close to me committed suicide. And I mean, it about took our little family out. And it was like the legs had just been cut out from under our stool. And I can tell you the only way we stood strong in that grief was to remember what God had done there. If you look back over your own story, you will see he always redeems. He's always kind. Even in discipline, he's merciful. And if you'll look back in this story, back to the very beginning, even in a King James Bible with these and thous, if you'll go back to the beginning, you'll find witness after witness, story after story, testimony after testimony that prove our God always has been 
working to restore the inherent dignity and value he imbued in us as his image bears. And he always will be in the process of redemption until we see Jesus face to face. And in Psalm 17, 15, it says, when we see him face to face, it'll be enough when we actually get to look into the eyes of our Redeemer. We won't want anything else. It'll be enough. It'll be enough. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the reminders you've given us in this love letter called the Bible that point to your redemptive character. Thank you that you are always kind, even when we can't see around the corner of our circumstances. You are always good. You are always a provider. Thank you that you use even our weaknesses uh, as a catapult for grace. Thank you that you love us with a love that is higher and wider and deeper than we can possibly ask for or imagine. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts wider that we could actually rest, see, believe, exult in your love more than we have before. We ask this by the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. We ask it for your purposes, God. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,